Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Ay 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 ay! It's the Ranger Command Power Hour! Today on the Power Hour, episode 191, Ranger Command Interview, Hasbro Power Rangers team and Ryan Parrott. Recorded on November 3rd and 4th, 2021. Welcome to the Ranger Command Power Hour on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. It's time to Ranger up with your host, I'm Eric, also known as b 47 This episode is brought to you by our patrons on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash rangercommandph to learn more about supporting Ranger Command Power Hour. Thanks to our $5 and above patrons, Charles D., Chris P., Steve F., AJW, Eric D., Jacob P., Steve M., Tyler B., Tyler W., Charlie N., Craig H., Craig M., Liz M., Mason M., Kevin R., Steve R., Hassan A., Bo H., Leland D., Josh P., Derek G., and Teresa B. for supporting us this month. Remember, you can go to linktr.ee slash rangercommandph for all of the links for our show and affiliate sites such as our Amazon affiliate at amazon.com slash shop slash rangercommandph. First off will be our interview with the Hasbro Power Rangers team consisting of John Warden of Product Design and John Firestone with Global Brand Marketing for Hasbro. Then, later on, we will have a full interview with Ryan Parrott regarding the end of the Unlimited Power Arc and Mighty Morphin Issue 13, the start of the Eltarian War. Enjoy. Today we are interviewing John Warden of Product Design and John Firestone, Global Brand Marketing. Welcome back to Ranger Command, John and John. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thank you for doing having well. us, Eric. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. So we're here to talk all about the PulseCon things that happened and were announced at the show. First off, I want to start off with the amazing Lord Zed helmet. The Lord Zed helmet, in my opinion, was the entire highlight of the Power Rangers segment. From the voice changer to the like plated metal finish, the squishy brain, this helmet really tries some different techniques than what we've had in the Ranger helmet. So what were some of the design challenges for making Lord Zed Emperor of Evil come to life? So right out of the gate, there's hesitance immediately of like, do, can, we, can we handle a big uh, villain helmet? And the answer mm. is a resounding yes. You know, it's as evidenced by this fan's reaction to this and the fact that it's, you know, it's been received so well. Thank you, fans, for making this villain helmet a reality. I think there goes without question, you know, there's there's fewer, icon, more iconic villains than Lord Zed in the world of pop culture. Um, but you can imagine there was a lot, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a big helmet. So we had, to, we had to have an extension in the stand to kind of make it it's physically taller. We also have to take into account the ergonomic concerns of all the different types of people that are going to be wearing it, from, yeah. the, small, from the smallest to the biggest, and so trying to make sure that it, it's comfortable. It has a voice changer as well, so there were, there were batteries here mm. in, the, in the forehead. No, the batteries are here in the back, but the, but the audio is here in the forehead. So these are two areas that are going to have weight. So yeah. having those ballast each other was tricky so that it wasn't always tipping forward or tipping back. And then if obviously you had the mix of textures. You have the yeah. you have the 
The lensing has to fit Hasbro's safety protocols as well as still look right for our cosplayers out there. Mm -hmm. The plating is a unique process that we've tried before on other helmets as well. And so we wanted to try to bring it to this um, this helmet, getting the price right once we had all these cool features in was a big one. And then getting that squishy brain. I remember <laughs> like when it finally came in, <laughs> true story. It like it, it came in and I, I put it on and we're rubber like not squishy enough guys. Not it was too it was too hard. Too hard. It's gotta be it's gotta be rubbery. I'm like, really? Isn't that gross? I'm like, yeah, it's gross. It's it's his head. <laughs> I mean, for me, that was definitely the selling point. As soon as I saw the squishy brain, I'm like, I'm I'm all like, in. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and the voice the voice changer too. It's like it yeah. has it has its own. So we had to get the we had to get the lines that we wanted to put in there that were canned, but also be able to have it so that you could invite people over and be like, "As hey, you got to see this," and you come out. <laughs> so, so there are pre recorded lines in yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. nice. Yeah, nice. Can can you <laughs> share how many phrases? I I don't think that was really touched sure. upon. Do you do you remember off the top of your head, John? I don't. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it. <laughs> I guess it'll be a surprise. Yeah, exactly. I know there's a there's a laugh. There's a cat like in the video, there's a cackle. There's, oh, okay. um there's I believe he says I think he says two at least two or three different lines. Very cool. Um, but yeah. But he does there are canned lines in there. I wish Bill was on the call. Bill could tell you all about it. Oh, okay. Well, no, it was awesome and you know, it looked great on Bill on the stream and you know, Bill's probably like me, a bigger guy, so when I saw the helmet fit perfectly on him, I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> So uh, moving on to some of the Lightning Collection, for Zato and, and Dino Fury Red Ranger, was there any talk of including like his Rafconian look with the antenna? So that's a, actually kind of a good question. When we were working on this guy, the reference that we had didn't have the Rafconian, the antennae coming yeah. off the top of it. Um, this, is, this was sort of an interesting surprise that when we, when we saw some of the cut footage, they're like, well, he's got these antennas. Mm -hmm. So I think there's always room now to do a variant uh, with the Rafconian look or maybe his, um, his civilian Rafconian or like um, Aion, Aion has the same yeah. kind of situation on his head. Yeah, I, it, it was one of those things earlier in the process. Uh, mm -hmm. This was a sort of a nice surprise for us. And, and so this gives an opportunity for us maybe to do another version of him later. It's one of those things that's as as production and creative work is organically being uh, sort of evolved in storytelling, it evolves, things can mm -hmm. change like that. And it's it's really part of the cool parts and one of both the challenges, but like really one of the fun things of working in a company where we get to work on content, content and entertainment as it's being developed and coming out. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, how satisfying must have been for you guys to see his reaction to the figure? Because oh God, it really man. looks like him. The best. <laughs> it's the best. When he opens it up and he's looking at it and he's showing yeah. it to the camera next to his face, just like, yes, Russell. Oh, <laughs> it's the best. Just the validation when you get to see talent also as excited about the product that we make because we're excited about them. And it's it's the same type of back and forth that's just really makes it so exciting to work in this industry. Yeah. And, and to think like... Um, like he's this is this is a modern season for him, so he's seeing yeah. it in real time. This isn't like David Yost or somebody like that who's been a ranger for a very long time, and it's probably still just as exciting for him to see a new ranger figure. 
but like to see like a show that you're literally doing stunts on and training for every day and then seeing an action figure you could see the childlike wonder in his eyes and that's oh, yeah. it's, it's one of the reasons why we do what we do you know it's it's bringing that happiness to people around the world Absolutely. Uh, continuing the dinosaur theme, uh, Shelby Dino Charge Pink has a really great portrait using uh, what you mentioned, the newer inkjet technology. A question I end is when is this technology used over like digitally sculpting from scratch? So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a balance, right? The mm-hmm. digitally, digitally sculpting, typically we end up working with, ultimately we work with our model artists at Hasbro to take the digital sculpt that someone like Corey will generate and then they, they actually map it in 3D onto mm-hmm. the face. So that's, it's all part of the process. But depending on the, uh, the level of how many contours are on the face and things like that, it, 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 it's taken into consideration like, Finster's a good example because yeah. he's got some more wrinkles and things like that. It works better on some of the characters that are more humanoid looking. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things that I think is, as we look at the it, Lightning Collection, is a constantly evolving thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, I come from Transformers Generations and it was always changing and evolving to the tastes of the modern collector. So sure. I, see, I see Lightning Collection in the same way. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're always learning more processes where we're trying to find the best practices and we're learning and listening from our fans to try to best understand when we want to put these nuances like inkjet printing in, but it does require an extra level of attention. And it's like mm-hmm. the people who do it are, are um, like, they're, they're almost like makeup artists. So oh, they're, yeah. but they're doing them on a small scale. It's pretty amazing. And Shelby is a great example of it. Thank you for bringing that up. So yeah. Shelby really is one of the, when you see her in person, that portrait really, really, really looks like her. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool seeing that on stream. Um, uh, one of the kind of things that you're talking about, about the Lightning Collection evolving, and one of the things I saw particularly on the Shelby figure was, you know, the female Ranger body type using the pinless elbows. And that was something I saw recently with the uh, Fortnite, one of the female figures. So w- what's that process like in probably taking different technologies and can you comment on Shelby's like pinless elbows? Cause I think it's a huge improvement. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And, and it's, it's an innovation that's happening across Hasbro six inch brands too. So as we look at for best practices across different collector brands, knowing that our collectors might be collecting, you know, Marvel or star Wars along with um, power Rangers, we want to make sure that we're staying current with, what mm-hmm. fans know and try to stay within that language and technology. The pinless system allows us to, you know, get better deco in some cases because we don't have to worry about, you know, the circle indentation. Um, it does require some work ahead of time and it does require some, in some cases, brand, most cases, all cases, a brand new tool. Sure. Because we have to kind of look at the entire limb. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it takes away some of that flexibility where, when we look at doing the entire year, we might build like, well, we can use these arms here and these legs here and try to make it so um, when we look at the full balance of the year, we're using the right mix of new and existing tooling. When you have a pinless, that's, that is a, that is a, a commitment. And um, yeah. so when Corey and Loretta do that, they want to try to think about what are its future reuse. But uh, it made sense for mm-hmm. Shelby and it, it, it worked out great. Yeah. 
Um, one last thing about Shelby. She comes with her Tricera drill instead of a Dino Saber like the rest of the team. So will there be ways to get the rest of the team's uh, signature weapons in the future? Yeah, we, we've actually heard this quite a bit. About that. <laughs> That's part, part of the reason why we talk to you guys. Uh, I can't see why not. You know, I, I love the idea of being able to offer these in the right way. You know, if you look at our Zeo Cog, we were able to yeah. get the Tonfas in there. I think there's opportunities either in singular sets or re-releases or portrait and accessory packs or something like that. I think it's, it's all about gauging our fan feedback, and I think it's something we should consider in the future. Uh, no plans at this time. I wish I could go on record and saying, sure. yes, absolutely, but I don't want to be, I don't want to throw you guys off. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, speaking of the cog, uh, and like you said, that was a great way to bring back uh, the Zeo Blue Tomfas. Um, but he also looks a little different from the cogs in the two pack. Can you talk a little bit more about the look of this figure with that translucent deco? Yeah, so the two-pack cog has like a printed pattern that emulates yeah. the, the the suits that you see, which have almost this like glittery lame kind of thing when they're like yeah. doing their goofy thing, <laughs> their whatever the heck, <laughs> machine empire dance they do. So this time around, Loretta decided to mold it in this like a translucent metallic, which get kind of gives a kind of a cool hollow thing. So you can see some of the moving gears inside and that sort of thing. But I think it just gave another reason to mm-hmm. have a different one. Um, and being that it's a troop builder and, and when you see those guys doing their thing, there's like a whole bunch of them. Oh, and some yeah. of them have different colored faces. So we wanted to kind of give a nice amount of variety for fans who are army building or, you know, actually members of the machine empire or whatever have you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> A lot of fans have like noticed some inconsistencies and, and errors, um, different paint applications being different in members of the same Ranger team and sometimes incorrect markings on suits and helmets. Uh, one example in this recent wave was the Lunar Wolf uh, Ranger missing the gold stripe, but it's present in the packaging art. So is there anything you guys can say to address concerns of fans who might think that the quality control is is either lacking and how can fans provide feedback in in a constructive way we appreciate first of all fans pointing out these inconsistencies you know we um we're always striving to create the best products that most accurately mm-hmm. represent and depict the power rangers that fans know and love when we hear feedback it's it's great to hear it um and a lot of times what we share in the social media platforms is not necessarily the finished and final product sure um it's in different stages depending on when we reveal it and so what might be on the package might not necessarily match what's being shown in a panel or vice versa and it's one of those things that that we do take fans feedback into account when we can and it's we're always striving to um to be better and 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 be more accurate and thinking about what those elements are you know and that said i think just let your voices be heard if you know we're in this virtual world I would say social media platforms are the best way to do that. Um, and when we, God willing, we finally have back uh, Power Morphicon or something like that, come up and talk to me. You know, it's like, for yeah. John, like we're, we love to talk to fans. I love to just, you know, ask people what their favorite, you know, what their favorite character was. What, what else? Like, what, what are your, what's your favorite Ranger moment? Things like that. Because when you start hearing these stories, you realize what different characters mean to people. So exactly. just ask us, you know, reach out. Absolutely. Yeah. Ultimately, we we strive to really deliver the best that we can, and we do hear your feedback, and we try to use that to get better and better as we go. 
So moving on to the deluxe line, you know, this idea of like a more robust line for vehicles and monsters, battleizers were even mentioned, which I'm I'm a huge fan of battleizers. I think mm-hmm. that's cool. Will each wave just consist of two figures, like a bad guy and ranger, or will the line kind of be a mix all over the place? You want to take this one, John? Sure. I, I don't think we are trying to box ourselves in. We don't really have a set pattern for how the waves will be laid out. It's more of uh, in art form, the same way that our waves on the main line are. It's trying mm-hmm. to balance both uh, things that we want to uh, share in terms of like what is popular with the fans and uh, different ways that we can bring in some really cool and unique and iconic newness that the deluxe line really allows us to explore with um, some other, you know, other tooling accessories that maybe make the line uh, more affordable for us to really deliver to you guys. If we could just talk maybe about the zap just a little bit, I, I'm super excited for this line. Uh, the new Megazord, even like prototype mode looked amazing. So uh, just a question, if more are done in the future, is the plan to go in series order or kind of jump around like the lightning collection figures based on popularity? Kind yeah. of s- same answer to yeah, probably same answer. There's no specific plans yet that we're ready to reveal or talk about. Um, we are crazy excited about Zord Ascension Project. That's part of why we <laughs> we're showing it so early in the process. Um, but that that being said, who knows? Our plans right now could always change too as we get sure. further into the story and further in our development. That that being said, we're super excited about. Yeah, it. we're super excited about it. There's such opportunity here, you know, yeah. and one of those things, looking back all the way when I came onto the brand in February 2020, there's, you know, this incredible wealth of awesome giant robots and Power Rangers. It's part of the DNA. It's, it's seeing them morph and seeing mm-hmm. their scale. So having an in-scale line of Megazords with representations of the Rangers that worked within 144th scale was something that we wanted to do from the get-go. And I think it would be self-limiting to only focus on something like, you know, MMPR, as cool and iconic as those characters are. I think you you would be remiss not to do those characters. But yeah. you really got to look at all of the shades of the rainbow on, on the Megazords. And, and there's there are some incredible mecha designs out there that, you know, as a big robot geek myself, oh, yeah. I would love to see happen in 144th scale. Yeah, and I, I love the scale that you guys picked because that is such an iconic scale for Mecha of that size. And to be able to use like, you know, any modelers out there that have like the hobby scale buildings or, you know, to make those iconic scenes, uh, I think is going to be really cool. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, I know you probably guys can't probably talk about this, but just throwing it out there, any plans for like maybe a HasLab for Power Rangers similar to like ghostbusters and transformers so (laughs) like you said nothing we can announce or talk about but haslab is a very cool tool we love it for the opportunity it gives us to really get into those bigger really hard to do expressions that everyone wants you just have to find a way to do it so it's it's super cool we're excited about what could be done through haslab so you'll have to stay tuned do you have any recommendations? Like, let us know. That's how, okay, that's how sure. these things get made. Is <laughs> listening to the fans' voices, and, and uh, we try to make sure that we give the fans what they want. 
Absolutely. Well, John and John, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun talking with you guys and I really appreciate uh, taking the time out of your day for this. So thank you, you so bet, much. Eric. It's always thank fun. you. Thanks. All right. Awesome. Bye-bye. Talk to you guys later. See ya. Take care. We are welcoming back Ryan Parrott to the podcast. We are talking this time about Mighty Morphin issues 11, 12, and 13, which is the start of the Eltarian War and Power Rangers issue 11 and 12. This man needs no introduction because we've introduced him so many times before on the podcast. Welcome back to Ranger Command, Ryan Parrott. Thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So we are uh, recording this and Mighty Morphin 13, by the time our listeners hear this, Mighty Morphin 13 will already be out the start of uh, the Altarian War. And the day we're actually recording this is November 4th. I don't know if you remember, Ryan, but November 4th, this is the day, the year anniversary when Mighty Morphin 1 launched. It's been a year. Are you serious? It's this. This was not planned. I was looking at the publishing dates and I was like, oh, crap. It's this is literally a year since Mighty Morphin 1 came out. Uh, And what a what an uneventful year, huh? So uh, (laughs) (laughs) nothing really happened. It was really Power Rangers is the only thing anybody cared about. It's great. Uh, Wow, that's crazy. I can't believe it's been a year. That's pretty. I mean, mean, you think about it. It's like, yeah, 13 issues. It makes sense. Um, But man, that's crazy. That's. Wow. Time flies. And I, I know you, you've been working on this book, obviously, longer than that, you know, because of planning and writing before the issue actually came out. So just looking back at the 12 issues of Unlimited Power for, for Mighty Morphin and then the 12 issues for Power Rangers, what are you the most proud of for Unlimited Power? Um, I think one of them is just that they've been they've they've all come out. <laughs> that sounds silly <laughs> to say, but like I, I hit my deadlines for the most part, unless Daphne's listening to this and then she comes on and tells me I haven't hit my deadlines. But um, you know, I'll be honest, like this one had a particularly difficult it's funny how like you know, it's not the first book, I, first time on Power Rangers that I've written two Power Ranger books in each for a month for, you know, because I did mm-hmm. it with GoGo and, and Mighty Morphin for a while, but that was a different kind of entity because it was like two different time periods. And this one was different because it was it's following sort of two different it's in the t- same time periods so you're following two different groups but it all had to be kind of one story but it couldn't feel like one story like that was kind of the hard part I think was like I I knew it needed to start off like I, it was sort of told like when we first figured out we're like okay we're new Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers and I was like okay so the first four three or four issues should be pretty tight and then you can kind of have them spread away but then eventually they have to sort of tie back together. For sort of the the ending, and I feel like that was really hard to do. Uh, like I'm not gonna lie, like there was a few spots where I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work, but I think I think it worked out pretty well. Like I think I've set up everything that I wanted to set up for Altarian War. I think I've gotten a chance. I'm really happy that we got to split the book, so I got to spend a little more time mm-hmm. focused on the characters that, as opposed to trying to fit six thousand characters into twenty two pages. Um, it's now, you know, smaller and, and, you know, I, and I think from what I've learned is like the smaller this the cast, the more the book tends to resonate. I think. Power Rangers has probably been a little more successful than Mighty Morphin, mm-hmm. if only because because you've got three characters and they're or four characters and they're out in space doing stuff. So I think I was I was proud of that. I, I I'm pretty happy with what Draken turned into. I, I like that. I think there everybody there was a lot of vocal people who were not happy he was in the book, and that seems to have faded away. Like I don't hear that as much. I don't think people are 
feel it, man. I'm sure there's people who still hate him on principle. That's fine. <laughs> but, uh, but like, I feel like the people who were like, why are you bringing this character into the story? If I feel like they got the answer, which was like, Oh, okay. I see how this character works. And hopefully I converted a few people into liking him or not feeling we overuse him. Well, yeah. And Draken just over this year in power Rangers, he's, been such a foil to the Rangers, but also working with them. And he's truly become like the the villain that you love to hate. You, you love him because he's like being such a prick. But then it's like, man, but I'm supposed to hate you. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's fun. I mean, those guys are those guys are fun to write because they can just be the guy in the corner yelling all the things that the audience wants to yell at your characters or exactly. saying the rudest, meanest things and pointing out all of their character flaws. And and I think that was what I really liked about him was I, I want my pitch for the series was I want the, the Omega Rangers to be led around by the worst person in the world. And I want him the entire time to be basically showing them all of their greatest fears. And that's if you mm-hmm. go through and you look at all, and it really culminates in that last issue, I think in, in Power Rangers 12, you know, is with him basically all of their, everything they were afraid was going to happen, happened. Um, yeah. And he's told them it was all going to happen. And I thought that was a really fun thing to have him be there because I feel like that, that's what I, I, I wanted him to be right ultimately um and and then you know obviously turn on them <laughs> in the best possible way so but yeah I, I i enjoyed writing him a lot and it was fun to bring him around and, and so and i want him to be different than he was i think he's very different he's a very different character in in my run than he was in i think in kyle's which i'm, I'm happy with yeah absolutely and we don't have to go in order here we can keep expanding on draken specifically because we're only going to talk about the last two issues for power rangers Oh, did I already spoil something? No, no, no. I'm just okay. I, cool. Like, I just, I mean, we're talking about Draken, so we might as well just talk yeah. about Draken. So, like, Power Rangers 11, they're searching for the yellow emissary, and they eventually get to the planet, and the yellow emissary is being typical emissary <laughs> and, like, being very cryptic and vague, but you come to find out that what the Omega Rangers have done by seeking him out is actually bring about the end of his existence. And it kind of takes on a whole new meaning to Omega because it is the end. And, you know, even though they're the good guys, not knowing themselves, they brought about his, his destruction. I mean, the last page of, Power Rangers 11 is, I thought was a great callback to the story covers from Necessary Evil with another emissary getting ripped in half. So can you talk a little bit about how the Omega Rangers just found themselves in this position and what they're feeling right now? Yeah, I always sort of knew that you know, the yellow emissary was sort of on the table. And um, I kind of, I think about halfway through the series, I sort of knew where I was like, well, since they were sort of out there, I was like, well, they got to use them. Like I, they have to mm-hmm. show back up in this series. And so I was like, and then it, it was like kind of late in the game where I also realized, not really late in the game, but sort of realized as I was breaking the original outline, like the idea that if an emissary dies, an Imperial rises. And so I thought, okay, so if you've done that once, we've, we, so this whole thing started when Kaya killed the blue emissary. That released the first Imperial. And then when he destroyed the Red Emissary and the FOC, that created the second one. So if those, and then I like this idea of sort of, there's something that's been this idea of balance, this idea of renewal, this idea of sort of like, there's like chaos energy and there's sort of like order energy and the idea of those two things sort of working in conjunction. So I was like, well, there should be, then they've got it. Then the goal should the Imperial should be to 
kill the third one so they get their full numbers and use that and that now they're at full power and we can see that so then i was like okay that's what and so i was like all right how do i make the power rangers involved in that and that's when i realized because the oh, emissaries can sort of see like if you look at the way that i wrote the original blue emissary and necessary yeah. it's like he can sort of see time as a flat circle he's like a little lost in time he doesn't quite understand linear time because he's always used to seeing everything moving in sort of in conjunction with everything. And so right. I was like, okay, they all are sort of disoriented in that way. So I thought, well, if you're the yellow emissary and you know what's happening, then you should just run. Cause it's like, they'll never be at full power mm-hmm. if they can't find me. And so it was a little bit like sort of my answer to the Luke Skywalker question, which is like, why is he on the planet? Yeah. And I was just like, you know, which I was always like, <laughs> hanging out. All right, cool, man. Just ran. Just all right, cool. But I was like, what I like this idea with with our guys was like, why did they run? Well, the yellow emissary is running me because it was like, as long as they never find me, the Imperials will never reach full power and the universe is saved. And then I like the idea of the Omega Rangers are like, oh, well, if we go find them, they'll save everything. So out of best intentions, they bring about the end of the world in the in essence. And mm-hmm. and so I, I liked that element. I liked that even, and but in the cool thing is uh, for me, it was like, but they also, by getting there, they learn about Zardish. They learn yes. what's going. So they, they do gain information. So it's not like they're completely screwing up. Like they, by going there, they are going to learn how to actually defeat the Imperials and what they actually need to do. And so I felt like it was sort of a nice trade-off and a nice, and it felt like a nice end of the act two for the Omega Rangers to sort of bring yeah. it to think that they are about to fix everything and then ultimately sort of fall apart. Actually, and, and the, the Draken of it all actually connected there. I didn't 100% know that that was Draken's role from the beginning, that his whole point. Oh. I, I didn't 100% know. I knew mm-hmm. that he had seen the Imperial kill the Emissary. Right. But I didn't know that he got caught at that moment. And then it was when I mm. realized, I got there and I'm like, oh no, man. The whole point of this was him trying to lead them to the, because I went back and kind of reread the read my run, and I was like, wow, he's the one who tells them about the Yellow Emissary. He's the one who brings them to the Red Emissary. Right. Like, it felt like it all lined up, and I was like, okay, yeah, his whole goal has been find the Yellow Emissary. And I was like, and so I realized that sort of like about halfway through the series, I was like, yeah, and so I started planning for it. It makes sense because him like helping Trini find the Yellow Emissary, yeah. and yeah. It, well, it made sense if you line up everything he's doing, he's helping them. He always helps them whenever they're about to be in trouble. He doesn't, he never helps them out of the kindness of their own heart. Right. Like whenever they're in trouble or he's in trouble, he'll help them. And whenever they need to find the yellow emissary or understand what's going on with the Imperials, he helps them with that. And then what I also liked is when you get to that ending, when the Imperials talk to him and they're in his head. Yeah. When he's been talking to Saba, has he been talking to them the whole time? Or like, that's what I liked. Like, it was like, he's got that voice in his head. And so he's been dealing with that. But what I liked is when you hear him talk to the Imperials, they can see his intentions. He can't lie to them. So that's why he ultimately has to go along with what they're doing. Even if he agrees with it or not, he has to do it. And I thought that was cool. I I thought it, it made him... It kept him consistent, but it also made you go, well, you know, it might not be on their side. It might also be on their side. Who knows? Well, circling back to the Yellow Emissary showing the, the Rangers, like, filling them in on the events, and then they're like, whoa, that's an Eltarian. I kind of liked it because, like, the Star Trek connection of it, it totally felt like City on the Edge of Forever. Right. Like, yeah, 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 totally. That's what I was The Time Gate. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's exactly what I was going for. <laughs> nice, <Yeah. laughs> nice. Yeah, totally felt that. But this is where the Unlimited Power title comes from, because the Yellow Emissary says, Eltarians have always sought order, but over the centuries, those in charge have come to covet something else entirely. 
unlimited power. Yeah. Zardis's motivation was sort of like that's that's been kind of his ultimate goal was it was you start with order and then ultimately once you like it's like you clean your house and now once your house is clean do you just stop or do you start cleaning other people's houses? And right. <laughs> and when you, and that's and that's literally or you take over people's houses and you make them clean the same way that you wanted to because that's the way it should be. And that's yeah. what I sort of saw that's what unlimited and he needed in order to achieve that he needed the imperials to sort of do that. Going back to Draken, so when he is talking with the Imperial, their bargain concludes and forms a new power morpher for him. Well, I, I saw it as him giving back his old power morpher. Oh, well, okay. The, you, to be fair, you're right. In the way that the time ended in Necessary Evil, it's possible they formed him a new morpher. That's a good, good point. I think because the emissaries, the Imperials, and kind of connected to that whole Morphin yeah. Master. At least that's how I saw it. Like yeah. they were just giving him back his powers. That's kind of the way I saw it too. It was like, cause he, she morphs in the next, in 12. Right. See that he, he had, he could morph in his world. And, and that's where the scar comes from as the Imperial grabs him by the helmet. And when he morphs, it doesn't morph around his hand. That's where that scar comes from. And so he obviously took the morpher away from him at that point. Yeah. Like, I'll give it back to you if you do this thing for us. And it was like, yeah, tours. All right, cool. Yeah. But man, Lord Draken coming back. It's <laughs> oh, right. It almost feels like like it was eventually going to happen anyway, but man, it, it still hit pretty hard, especially cuz he's now got this like new corrupted form. Yeah. I, I mean, there was a point where I, I actually was like, okay, maybe he has his powers the entire time. Like, maybe he always does. He's just lying about it. But then I was like, ah, he would use them. He would just use them to get away. Yeah. And I was just like, nah, he's got to get them. But then this was actually Daphne, my editor's idea. She was like, look, if he, if we're giving his powers back, there's got to be a cost to it. And she's like, I want it to feel, when you see this version of Draken, I want you to know this is the version from Unlimited Power. And I was like, okay. And so here was her idea of like, have it be ripped and corrupted and everything. And I was like, there was an old, there was another version we did of the art where it was his whole body. It was not just the left side. It was like all red, all the way down his arm and his body. And I was like, it's a little much. He looked like, <laughs> he was like, we're going into carnage world here. And then when we discovered, oh, what if it was when the, the Imperial grabbed him by the helmet and he morphed that it like broke it. I was like, that's, I like that. Like there's a, there's a story reason for the, the change in the outfit as opposed to just like, oh, we want a new look. And so I was pretty happy with this. I think it came together pretty well. And this is Dan Mora doing his, doing his normal stuff. Probably the most, like just the, the heart wrenching thing for me is like the death of Z. Yeah. I mean, that hurts, man. <laughs> well, I love that it was the, like he kills him the moment after he's like, maybe I was wrong about you, dude. <laughs> like the moment after he was like, hey, you know, I've been kind of a jerk to you the whole time. We would never have found this place without you. Maybe you're not so bad. And he's like, or it was like, I thought you'd betray us the first chance you get. And he's like, first chance? What would be the fun in that? And you think it's him just throwing a line away. And then immediately after that, he drives a dagger into his head and kills him. And I was like, yeah, that's... That's you got to get insult injury whenever possible. Exactly. So leading into Power Rangers 12, just to kind of wrap up the Omega Rangers story for unlimited power. So the planet they're on gets obliterated, but that's when the Omega Rangers discover that Draken is back. And it's, you know, a really tough moment for the Rangers being on that planet. But 
they also find out the truth. And like Power Rangers 11 before it, this was kind of an info dump for not only them, but for us. And seeing that flashback to all the way back to the end of Necessary Evil and and the wrap up of, of that, how much of that was like planned out? Or I, I know you said you figured some of it out during the way, but was Lord Draken coming back this way, like always on the table? Yeah, yeah. I, when we were like, we want to bring Draken back. And I was like, okay, so we'll just have him appear like in a comment at the end of the thing. And I was like, all right, well, then how did he escape? What did he mm-hmm. see? And when what has he been doing? So like the way that I write sometimes is I will write with like an idea of where it could go, but I don't like lay it down. It's sort of like, there's not that, I think it's a, a thing that's called Schrodinger's cat where it's like you put a cat in a box right. and you both alive and dead until you open the box. And so that's the way that I approach writing sometimes where I will literally mm-hmm. be like, okay, I knew when the Imperial destroyed the emissary, I was like, okay, Draken's there and he saw it. Mm-hmm. Because I knew that because the next thing you see him, he's like, we got to get away from these Imperials immediately. So I was like, okay. So I knew he saw how powerful these things were, but I didn't a hundred percent know that he was working for them. I just knew that he was trying to get away from them, but it was yeah. about halfway through. The, so, but I knew that he had, was lying about where he went and why he went to certain places and what was going on. It's Cause I knew that, you know, he could, he's an, he's an unreliable narrator. So I, at any point he could say when he's like, Oh yeah, I was at, um, when I was at Onyx, I was the only reason I was here. And I was like, well, he did go to Onyx. So he knew people were there, but like, when did he go to Onyx? Why did he go? Eh, who's to say like, he could lie hmm. about that. He's a liar. He's Draken. But halfway through, I think when I was around issue six or seven, I sort of started trying to figure out kind of like what his plan was and what he was doing. And it was right about then when I was like, when he helped them with the try to figure out sort of like how to contact the yellow emissary that I was like, okay, I think I, he's been working with them. And I knew that I was like, okay, then they found him in that moment and they grabbed him and they said, you're going to go. We don't know where the yellow emissary is. We can't find them. You're going to go find them for us. And you're going to lead the Omega Rangers to them. And what I liked about that was if he had come to the power Rangers and be like, let me help you find the yellow emissary. They'd have been like, screw you, man. That's not going to happen. Right. But the fact right. that he's running from them, but giving them breadcrumbs, felt like a good plan. Like, I don't think you would have ever seen or figured out that that was his ultimate goal. So yeah, I was sort of, I, I was sort of like, I kind of knew he was working at odds against them, but I didn't hundred percent know what that direction was until about halfway through. Okay. Yeah. And I kind of like, like after he tells them, you know, this story, he said, so you're the ones who actually doomed the universe. I'm just the guy who dragged you along for the ride. And it's such a screw you, man. Yeah. <laughs> It's uh, it, that I, I thought that was great. And even Jason calls him out on it and said, you asked me to fight me for your freedom um, and you've helped us. Like, I don't think you want to be the bad guy anymore. And he's like, oh, yeah, you've got me all figured out. Enjoy the end of the world. And I don't know where he's going to show up next, but I, I kind of like that now he's just out there. Well, I will say this as, as, a, as a little bit of an Easter egg. Go back and read Power Rangers number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and the scene where he's at the vault one, that's important. And that mm. will come back later. That's important. And two, when he talks to Jason and he's like, are you guys going to let me go when this is over? And Jason's mm-hmm. like, nah, man, we're not doing that. Cause I'm not going to, I told Zordon, we bring you back. Yeah. Right. And at that, like, he kind of is like, let me, you know, like I've helped you. I believe I've worked. I've looked at everything I've done for you. And he's just like, that's not going to happen. And I honestly believe at that moment, that's the moment he decides he's going to betray them because he's literally like, I think that's the moment where he's deciding. He's deciding yeah. whether or not he wants to keep helping them or he's going to burn them. 
and he gives them the opportunity to choose. And Jason chooses not to help him, chooses not to show compassion, not to show forgiveness, to not like, cause he, cause I think he's right. Up to that point, he hasn't done anything wrong to, right. to betray them. And it's this moment when Jason says, I'm not, even when we're done, you're going back into a jar. And the thing that Draken hates more than anything because he spent all yeah. that time. So, so I remember somebody was asking me, why did you spend time waste? Why did we waste time going back to Draken's world where he, where he was, you know, with the, the, the ghost beasts where he had been after necessary. Right. And I'm like, to show you what he's scared of most in the world, which is being locked away in a box that he can't get out of. And he's so desperately, he, cause he know it is almost drove him crazy. So the whole point is, he literally said to them, I don't want to end up in a canister. And they're like, we're going to put you in a canister. And he's like, then I'm going to burn you. And I thought that made mm. sense with that character. Yeah, absolutely. And then we see the destruction of the Imperials unleash their power and start destroying this world. And they have their own little conversation. There will be even more devastation We are when we are free of the master. So as much as... Zardis thinks that he controls the Imperials. I, I really don't think he does. Yeah, I mean, yeah, these are these are beings that have been around a lot longer than than Zardis, oh, yeah. and I'm sure they're not loving these being puppets on strings. So yeah. Now, what I was most surprised about with this issue for um, Power Rangers 12, which is technically the end of Unlimited Power, was how like quiet and introspective the rest of this issue was you just really feel for the Omega Rangers because it is the most desperate situation they've ever been in. Not only as Rangers, but just people. Yeah. I pitched this out and I was like, how far can I go? Cause I, I literally mm -hmm. asked my editor, I was like, I, cause the last, not the last page, but like the second to last page, they talk about giving up. Yeah. Like this idea of like, do we just keep pushing or do we end this our way? Because yeah. they don't have a way out. And I was like, um, am I going to be able to do that? Because I wanted to get there. And, and God bless. I mean, man, I was very surprised that Hasbro and Boom were like, yeah, go for it. Um, because like somebody called me out on this. Like, this feels very end game. And I was like, yeah, kind of. I mean, it'll be a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like, it's definitely this. I'm definitely influenced by that movie and this idea of talking to Z. Anytime you can have it. I mean, that's what it's a it's a trope that's been used a thousand times. Is, sure. You know, you say goodbye. If you're, if you're going to say it's the goodbye letter. And I liked the idea that. Every time they go to these planets, right, they always can jump on, you know, the spectrum or they can get teleported away or whatever. And this idea that they're on this planet out in the middle of nowhere that no one even knows exists and it's melting around them and they have no way out. And like, yeah, how do they deal with that? You can see how they all three approach it in different ways. Like Jason's always just, okay, he's like, he's on the treadmill, right? He's just like, I got to keep moving. Got to come up with another plan. Got to try another plan. Got to figure another thing out. And Trini's the one who's like watching all of them and sort of watching watching all their spirits break. And Zach right. is looking back at his own life and going, look at the decisions I've made. And so I wanted that moment. I was like, how can I have all three of those perspectives sort of like unravel towards each other at the end? So we get to see Jason run out of plans, Trini run out of the ability to pick people up, which is what she her superpower has always been. Yep. And Zach ultimately confessed to not murder, but definitely not saving people and how he feels about that. And that's what I, those were the goals I wanted all three from the very, very beginning. That's what I always wanted that moment to be to. I wanted that moment where Jason's like, I got nothing. 
I got no yeah. more plans for you. I mean, I guess that's literally I am pulling. That's what he goes. I got nothing for you, Cap. I remember he says that in Endgame. So yeah, I'm ripping <laughs> off Endgame every chance I get. Um, but that's what I liked about it was I thought yeah. I, I love this idea that they there's nothing to punch. There's no plan. There's nothing they can do. And it's just like when you are at the end and you feel like you've you've doomed the world and now you're left to suffer and deal with your own sort of failure. Like, what do you do? And, and mm-hmm. I thought that was a really fun sort of interesting way. Not fun, but like, obviously not fun, but like, uh, I don't want, I wanted to write that. And I was really, it was really fun to try and write those scenes. Yeah. And I think with you saying that you had to pitch that to Hasbro and boom, cause it is dark. Dark. Yeah. And it really hits home, especially because for the majority of us, we've been, we've been locked away in our homes and quarantining and keeping safe for a year and a half at this point. And I think at least for me, that sense of isolation and the Rangers just feeling isolated and trapped can't even take off their helmets because the air is poison. Yeah. So they're even trapped by their own suits. It feels just very relevant and, and really hitting close to home. Good, I'm glad. And I, I, I thought Francisco did a wonderful job with these pages. Like there was yeah. like, he, like so much emotion in a lot of the looks and just the angles he chose. And it's so hard to get emotion through those helmets sometimes. And I, I love when they're all just sitting there and you can kind of see their eyes and you and Trini's, you know, kind of suggesting, you know, like, what do we do and how yeah. are we going to do this? And like even the shot of like when Zach is like talking about where he sees that he sees the the that the king that he left behind. And it's just a, a shot of him picking up a rock. And you, like, I like those little things. Like, I love that stuff. I think that's some really I love when artists take a choice and make a and make it better. And I, I thought this issue just really it just kept getting better and better all the way through. Yeah, I don't think I mentioned the artists enough, but both Marco Renna and Francesco, they have done such an incredible job for the past year. And I really enjoy their artwork. It's it's really great. It's Francesco. Oh, my gosh. I've been mispronouncing his name for like a year. That's terrible. Francesco, I am so sorry. <laughs> I think I've been calling him Francisco Mortarino because I don't ever say it out loud. I never, I, I just, I read it in my own head. And so I'm an oh, idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, he's a fantastic and amazing artist. And I am so sorry, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's incredible. And like, even his run from Go Go Power Rangers and, and all of that, like, I'm just glad like everything is carried over and just gone better over time because yeah. y- you're right. Just trying to show the, emotions and the helmets and you know that was something that Daniele pioneered with like showing the eyes through through the visors and I, I'm really glad that all the artists and shattered uh, grid have like kind of carried that tradition and put their own spin on it so yeah absolutely I, yeah. I really loved his work specifically because I think one of the fun things about what Francesco has been doing, I'm mean, just keep saying his name as often as I can now and hope that don't <laughs> realize I was saying it wrong, um, is uh, what I love is like when I pitched him each arc, I was like, okay, when we reach the horrid in like one, two, three, and four, I want that to feel like alien. I, and, he, and he did it. If you go look at yeah. that, like he, oh, yeah. he toned the, the colors down and he made it, he made the spectrum feel scary. And then when I was like, okay, we're going to go to Onyx, I want it to feel like an old school Western. And he did that too. And, and I love that he just keeps adjusting and changing the story. He like modulates his style to, to fit the story that I was giving him. And that is hard to do to con- stay consistent, but yet make the book feel different and unique each way. And I think he's just done a wonderful job of that. Yeah, absolutely. And the final shot, what we've been waiting for the whole time. The secret no one knew about. (laughs) We get the form of Yale as the new Omega Blue Ranger in full 
cat morphed glory. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I really love this, this page. I just like, <laughs> I just like they're at the end of the ropes and, and then Jason's like, well, I'm probably dead, but you know, whatever you are, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Giant blue cat person. How are you? <laughs> yeah. So we don't get introduced to like, we don't fully see Yale do anything except save them from the rocks. And we get this gorgeous page of the reveal of, of the Ranger. But how long has this idea been spinning in your head? And did you get influenced by like Meow Rangers or something <laughs> like what? No, I think Toka Chris talked about that today, actually on Twitter. He was like, yeah, talking to me. Yeah. I appreciated that. Um, uh, so I knew that Yale was going to be the blue MS, the blue new blue Ranger. Uh, the minute that I got the designs in go, go power Rangers, like, 20 oh man i don't know what issue it was anymore whichever one the issue was where i got the first design of yale i was like i love the look of that character that character and i was like we're gonna yeah. put him in the drum and i was like okay he's sitting out there and so i knew when kaya went away i was like well i'm gonna need a blue new blue ranger and i was like well i want i want it to be yale the omega rangers are protecting alien worlds from all over and we've already had an alien ranger kaya is not from earth so it's established. And I was like, well, what if we, what if Yale's smarter than we think he is? Just because he doesn't communicate with you doesn't mean he's not smart. He's just a giant cat. You know, it doesn't like, we just assume that he's at the same intelligence level as the animals on our planet, but he might not be. He just doesn't speak. So I was like, from the minute that happened, I was like, I'm just going to have, I know Yale's going to eventually be the Blue Ranger. And I just wanted to wait until the moment we needed it to happen. And so I, yeah. I've, I've known from beginning, I knew he was going to be the Blue Ranger from before I started writing Power Rangers number one. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, I was just like, yeah, of course. Um, because I was also like, there's just something cool about the idea. I just love the image of the three of the Omega Ranger standing with that giant blue cat either in front yeah. or behind them and just like on full. And I love the idea with the Tritons. I actually wanted them to be even bigger. Like, I love that the Tritons, that like Kaya's Triton has turned into yes, claws. claws. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was really cool. And, um, and he's from a planet that's mostly, mostly uh, like a winter planet and it's water. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like it all kind of lined up. And also the other thing that I really loved was if you go back and you read, I think it's Power Rangers number 10, which mm -hmm. is the issue that I did with Rachel Wagner. Like what I loved about that book was that you got to learn about, if you listen to the emissary, like I got to answer this question of like, why did you make Kaya the Blue Ranger if she was going to be evil? Shouldn't you have seen that coming? And what I thought was kind of neat was he sort of says, I knew one of you needed to be the Blue Ranger. I assumed it was Kaya. I was wrong. It was right. you. When you got to that planet, because the moment she becomes the new Blue Ranger, it's like the moment she saves the Rangers from Yale. Right. And so he misunder he misinterpreted the signs and and on the thing because he that was just what I liked about that. So like I've always wanted to do this. I just thought it looked really cool. I was very excited about the fact that the design worked and that everybody let me do it. And you know, like I also personally like. Who doesn't love every, like, who doesn't love Groot? Who doesn't love, right. you, know, you know, you love the, you love the, the animals that are just there. And I, I love the characters. I was like, I'm going to do that. So that was, that was the inspiration. And, and it totally feels like, like battle cat from He-Man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like everything about my childhood that I love. <laughs> and man, I'm, I want to put this out into the universe. I would love if they did more, like if they did Omega Ranger figures, but if they ever did like a lightning collection, Yale as blue Ranger, sign me the hell up for that. Cause yeah. that'd be amazing. The plushie, like a, like a dog toy. <laughs> even even dog. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about for power Rangers. Anything else about the Omega Rangers that you want to touch on that we haven't 
already talked about. Not really. Like I really, it was a lot of fun writing this book for for as long as I have, and and ultimately ending it where I wanted to. I, I felt like the thing that I think I'm still learning as a as a writer is pacing in regards to storytelling because you just never mm-hmm. know how much room you need. It's funny because I think in comics it's like for some people the down issues can be their most favorite issue, you know, like I, yeah. you know, and then for some people they consider that filler. So, you know, cause they want to get to the, the, th- the stuff that turns the story. But I, so I never know. And so I just try to write with that balance of like, do I feel like every character is getting a little bit of a story. I tried in this one. I think Zach had kind of gotten the short end of the stick, honestly, for a lot of my three or four years writing Power Rangers. Just because by no fault of the character, just by mm-hmm. fault of my plotting or losing time or him not being essential to the current story that I was telling. So I really did want to try and give him more of an emotional storyline to play with. And I, and I really, I'm pretty happy with the story that I was able to do with him because I thought him going to Hartoonia, I liked that storyline a lot. I really yeah. liked to see him sort of see the frustration of going to a world that had gained its riches through colonization and him trying to like decide whether or not they were going to save those people. And ultimately discovering that there was one good person on that planet and then watching that good person die for the sake of their race and him sort of honoring that choice in a way that he thought was morally wrong. Mm -hmm. And then having him have to take ownership and responsibility over the very people that he didn't like. And And I just thought there's a lot of really complex emotional stuff that he's going through. Like when he stands in front of Archon and is like, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for these people that I don't even know because I think it's the right thing to do. Like that's a big move for that character, for a character that I know people have accused me on many times of just using somebody who was the punchline. That's the storyline I wanted to tell. I wanted this, he went through a lot of growth um, and and a lot of sort of like emotional strong choices. And I really, I like that. So I was very, I'm very proud of of this Zach storyline because I think it put him in a, for not being the leader of the team, I think it put him in a lot of interesting emotional spots. Yeah, and it's it's such a growth from when he was talking to, I believe it was Adam, right? Mm-hmm. Black Ranger to Black Ranger. And right. he, he was giving Adam like, you don't have to be the funny one, like find your own thing. Yeah. And for him to come around and he himself not just be the funny one, like the, it, it was a huge growth over this arc. So yeah, I'm really glad of like where, where Zach has, has grown in this. Cause he can be a really deep character. Yeah. I mean, it's it just giving him the opportunity and, and you know, I've always said this, I think, you know, when you write power Rangers, it's the three types of characters that are easiest to, to write are your leader, you know, Jason or Tommy, cause they're the ones who have to make really strong choices for the whole team. They're the ones out in front. They're making choices. Usually also the Billy's really easy to write because Billy's the technical guy who's almost always dealing with how to solve the problem with some sort of technological doodad or some sort of, he's an expositional mm-hmm. element. So you got that. And then if you have somebody who has like a relationship like Kimberly and Matt and all the other stuff and Tommy and then in other ways, those stories sort of are easier to write because they sort of generate themselves. It's always harder to find stories for the side characters on the Power Rangers who aren't pushing the narrative. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's Mm -hmm. with Rocky and with Zach and with Adam and Aisha to an extent. Like, I'm always trying to find ways to bring them into the story. And I think that's one of the things I've really liked about with what I've done with Aisha is making her the voice and, and the leader and the opposition to Tommy. Like, I look at her as literally the person who is going to, Tommy's optimistic in his approach to leadership and she's pessimistic in her approach to leadership. And I thought that's a nice foil to have. 
Um, and I, that was something I found in trying to actively find stuff to do. And I, I think I'm still trying to find that voice with Adam. Rocky has become more of an emotional, for me, he's become just funny. Like I really enjoy writing his character because he's just became goofier and goofier to me. Um, <laughs> and I said this on, I think I said on the Hasbro thing, like I write, like yeah. writing dumb characters <laughs> and, like, and I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure Steve loved to hear that. But yeah, so I'm, that's what I'm trying to find. And it's, mm-hmm. it's always hard, but I, I think now that I sort of identified the problem, it's been easier to sort of approach it and try to get out in front of it. Now, we're going to switch back to uh, Mighty Morphin with uh, Mighty Morphin issue 11. And we, we can talk about Mighty Morphin 11 and 12 since they're um, like so connected. And one of the things I want to start with that we get that flashback to because it's like, Man, after the Dan Moore issue, it's like (laughs) really hard to like follow that up. But I like this first flashback because you see that Zed's in his early stages of healing and Zardis keeps like poking the bear and like trying to take advantage of Zed's line of thought by like bending the truth and manipulating in his way. But he's kind of playing with a double-edged sword because Zed, I mean, he like literally chokes uh, Zardis to to the wall and like, yeah, have you betrayed me as well? He's like, no, I saved your life. But in his head, he's thinking, oh, has he figured me out yet? So can you talk a little bit about that relationship? Yeah. After we finished the 10 issue with Dan, um, I was like, okay, if we're going to do that, I kind of want the flashbacks to sort of bounce around. I don't want them to just be from Zordon's perspective anymore. It'd be kind of more interesting if, it, if they were sort of following Zed a little bit, because now that the cat's out of the bat, we can do that. And so um, I thought this was, a, this was actually a scene that I wrote, I wrote all the way through, and then we, we did the issue, and then I went, oh, no, no, I, I had it wrong. Because in the original version, uh, it was very much Zardis being the one who was sort of whispering in Zed's ear, and was like, oh no, I think it's Zordon who did it. And Zordon's definitely had been trying. And it, it felt odd because it felt like Zed was just being manipulated and turned into like a puppet a little bit. And I was like, I don't want that to be this guy whispers in your one time and for 10,000 years you're gonna go after you're gonna go after Zordon. And I was like, that seems a little mm-hmm. wrong. That doesn't seem right. And so ultimately what I liked about it was I was like, well, let's flip it. It's more interesting to me if, Z- if Zed is the one who's starting to try and figure, he's the one putting the piece together. And maybe he's wrong about those yeah. pieces. But when, Z- when Zordon so quickly becomes the Supreme Guardian and he doesn't know why he got hurt and also he's on a lot of medication <laughs> and, he's, and he's gone through some tragedy, touching the Zeo crystal is going to mess with your head a little bit. And so I liked that it felt like he was a little deranged and unhinged. And weirdly, in the same way that Z- in the same way that Draken was sort of like, instead of Draken coming to the Rangers and being like, "Let me help you find," like instead of coming to the person you want to manipulate and saying, "Let me help you do this," do the opposite. And what I like is that Zordon mm-hmm. actually in the scene just defends Zordon. He's like, "No, man, yeah. that's crazy. What are you talking about?" And the more he defends him, the more Zed knows he thinks he's right. This is a, I actually, if I'm being completely honest, this is exactly what Iago does to Othello in um, in Othello. Oh yeah, yeah, with Cassio. This is exact. I, mm-hmm. I pitched this from the very beginning as Othello with with Zed as Othello, Zordon as Cassio, and Zardis as Iago. And that was my pitch from the very beginning. And this scene is the moment when he's like, "I loved you too much," kind of mm-hmm. kind of moment. So yeah, that was always my approach. So whenever I can bring Shakespeare into into power, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Hey, I, I love it. I love it. Um, we, we also get, you know, a scene where Billy kind of joins the group at lunch or whatever, and they accept him. But Aisha is still that that voice of reason here. And 
like you said, Rocky's kind of being his dumb self. He's like, oh, yeah, uh, which part is the fish stick? Oh, the best part. Like, which part of the fish is the stick? So I'm I'm still glad that in spite of all of these huge moments that we get, I, I really love these small at the school character moments. And one of the the big things that was after this was Matt confronting Kim after everything that happened, like in the dome or whatever. So I feel like Matt keeps having to defend himself and, and defend grace. And, and we see quite a bit of that in, in these two issues. Yeah. The way that I always sort of looked at it with him is if you go back to all the way to the beginning, right? Zordon Mm -hmm. picked, there were six friends, right? And he was one of them and he, and Zordon picked five of them and left him out. If you're, if you're being logical about it, because like that, they were six friends and he left him on the outside end and Grace didn't Grace picked him. And to be fair, the minute Zordon picked his five friends and left him behind, he broke their friendship. He left him on the outside. Like though every bad thing that has happened to Matt following that in some ways is, is because he wasn't chosen to be a power ranger. And I'm not going to lie. I think Matt probably knows that or at least. I, one of the things, I don't know if you realize it, he never gets Zordon's name right. I was just going to ask that because I'm like, yeah. is he doing that On intentionally purpose? or, yes. okay. I mean, maybe not, maybe not intentionally, but I, it's one of those things that I've always loved. If you want to show disrespect from somebody, you get their name wrong. I think I learned it from Parks and Rec, but like <laughs> one of the things I loved about that was like, he gets the name wrong all the time. So in a weird way, what I liked was he was not chosen and everything went south. And then Grace comes in and Grace says, I'm going to pick you. Um, but there's a scene where he and Tommy have a conversation in 12. When, when he says that there's a really good point when Tommy says to him, she could have picked anybody, but she picked you. And I think Tommy thinks that he's being like, you shouldn't trust her. What Matt's hearing is, yeah, cause I'm special dude. She picked me because I'm good at this and I, I can be helpful. And so I think he's got a little bit of that allegiance to her, even though I don't entirely trust Grace. Grace has her own set of rules. So I looked at it a little bit like they might not like what Grace is doing, but he's got like that girl picked me. I am ride or die with her. And I liked that. I feel like there's a loyalty there. There's an allegiance to that because he wouldn't be a power ranger without her. And we'll see if that ultimately becomes a good or bad Mm -hmm. thing. But it's one Mm -hmm. of the things that I liked about that. And I feel like that's why he's constantly. And also I really liked at this point, he tees up kind of a big moment here, which is the whole thing of like, you guys are working for an alien who's working with the bad guys. I'm working for a human who wants to protect this earth. Who's on the right side here. And I just thought he act, he's making a good point from his point of view. Yeah. And it's like, if Zordon has to choose between his home planet and earth, what's he going to do? And that's me teeing up that last line that I always wanted to to, to do. But in the same way, like, but I also want to like that for us, we look at Matt and we're like, Matt, Zordon's never going to turn on. He's a good guy. You don't know that. But from Matt's point of view, he doesn't know that he's never even met Zordon. Yeah. All he knows is that there's a big blue head in the sky who's made his life and the life of his friends really hard, and that the and the aliens who are targeting their planet right now are or his part species. Of him. So from his yep. point of view, it makes complete sense. And I feel like yep. that's the thing that's funny sometimes when people like kind of they'll ask me questions about this stuff, and they're like, "Well, Matt's being wrong." I'm like, "Yes." You know that because you've got the whole story in front of you, but the character doesn't. And I and I feel mm-hmm. like that's I gotta be true to the character. I gotta be true to the to what he knows and why he knows it. You might not like that that he what he's saying, but from his point of view, that's all that's the only answer he has. Exactly. Yeah. So the next like big moment in issue eleven 
we're actually introduced to Sentry Force 4. Uh, we've got Zenith, who is constantly floating in the air. We got Zero Zero, who is actually a child inside this huge mech suit. We got Zeta, who's this silent warrior sword person. And then we've got uh, Zag, who is literally a one-man army because of his teleportation. Talk about Sentry Force 4. Why introduce so late into this arc and the creation of of these characters? Yeah, so I think a personal pet peeve that I just don't like. Like, look, I love the John Wick movies. They're very cool. But mm-hmm. when you put John Wick in a room with 20 bad guys and they're all just wearing black and they've got guns, he's not going to lose. And so for me, I always feel like the stakes are really low when you've got people fighting against just minions, not even, right. sorry, not even minions, but just like foot soldiers. And so I was like, I don't want the Altarian War to be a battle between a whole bunch of blue faced soldiers and the Power Rangers. Right. And I was like, that's not going to work. So I was like, for me, I like face characters. I like... In the same way that Zed has his minions, I wanted to give Zardis his minions, mm-hmm. but I wanted them to be a threat. I wanted them to be like when they're, they're called Century Force Four, like that's my SEAL Team Six. Like I literally was like three, they even sounds the same. Right. I wanted them to be that kind of style. And so I was like, I'm going to bring in face characters. I know it's late in the game, but I think you can give them enough because I know they were going to fight a lot. I was like, well, I can probably give them points of view about Eltar yeah. in the fights. I can use them as voices for Eltar that are beyond Zardis. And also, I just like creating new teams and, and stuff. And, just, <laughs> and also, they all have the Zs because, of course, they're all Altarian. And so that was a lot of fun. And so we came, I came up with them pretty quickly, actually, the powers and the ideas and the point of views and them all. I really, really enjoyed the way Marcos used them. I love the way that uh, he uses Zag. I love the way he draws the, the, Ugh, the, the teleportations and, and the fighting. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. That was something that, that was the first one I came up with. I was like, I want it to be portals. And it's like, it's like, what if Nightcrawler was like just punching you? It's like, all of a sudden you're looking and this little portal appears next to your head and a little fist comes through. And I thought that was really fun. And then I liked the idea that Zenith, those wings, I love the idea that she literally floats all the time. Like she can't even, she's actually, if you're looking at like who's evil and who's good on. Oh, she's, she's, she's the she's one. evil. Yeah. yeah. She's somebody who is like, she's a true believer in what Zardis is saying. She thinks that Eltarians are the, top of the food chain and everybody else is just thing. And so much in fact that she won't even step on our world. And, yep. and that thing I really liked. And I love the idea of a leader who doesn't say anything. I thought there was something really cool about Zeta just being this guy who when he speaks, everybody listens, but he doesn't speak very often. And then with Zero Zero, I was just like, can we make Mech Alpha 5? And they were like, sure. And so that's where that character came from, was <laughs> Mech Alpha 5. But then I was like, well, I don't want it to just be a robot. I was like, yeah. well, let's have there be a little Billy inside, like a little tiny kid who's smarter than everybody else and can be kind of the wild and crazy, excited person. One of my favorite things about her, as you see, as she goes through, like she loves the Power Rangers. Like she knows who they are. Like, she even she, says, my my dad is named Zordon. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was cool because he's been around for 10,000 years. And the same yeah. way that, like David is a common name. It's like the guy who sacrificed his body to save the world. Of course, there'd be people named Zordon on another planet. So I thought that was kind of a fun little thing that you could add in there and so yeah so that was my idea was i just really wanted to create a group of villains that when they came in and and look i don't even know if they're villains so much as they are just warriors for eltar like depending on what side eltar ultimately could be on like that there was something fun about that so like i like the idea of bringing them in and having there be sort of a a rival to the power rangers that would hopefully be powerful enough and even in i think you see in issue 11 or 12 like they actually use their powers 
Um, mm-hmm. and they work together as a team. Like they're tough. So like, I wanted, that was just fun. I just wanted, I wanted that. I didn't want it just to be a bunch of soldiers with batons fighting. Cause I feel like, you know, everybody's going to know they're going to, they're never going to lose that battle. So. Exactly. Yeah. One of, I think uh, one of the, I don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally funny when they're kind of going over their plan and, and Zardis is like, here's how it's going to go down. We're going to use my flagship. And you just see all these like alternate scenes that don't happen. And my favorite panel of issue 11 is the group shot of them, like standing over yeah! the body, body of Lord Zed. And, you know, Trini's holding up the peace sign and they're all like yay we did it and it feels just i don't know it kind of reminded me of like uh, like a dragon ball z moment or whatever like you know it's a still frame of them just like yay victory yeah half of it was i wrote it in as and then they they're victorious and in the most unrealistic way possible and then marco translated it into that so like i didn't tell him to do any of that but he took it as oh my god like it was... it's like this is never gonna happen so like make it feel ridiculous and he did a great job i just i laughed at that panel yeah what would have been better is if they were all in mid leap and it was like frozen like if they were all like like yeah, yeah i should have done that yeah <laughs> So one of the things I wanted to touch on, and it's it's kind of like the timing worked out, uh, because in the show, Power Rangers Dino Fury, we find out that Izzy is uh, the Green Ranger of that series, is, is gay. She's uh, part of the LGBT community. And I think one of the things that you subtly put in here was that there's a line where Zag's like, hey, the, the Black Ranger is pretty cute. And so I wanted to ask about that. And was that like an approval from boom or is just like, let's just write it naturally. Cause I, I haven't seen anyone really talk about that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like I didn't want to make a big deal. I think I was just writing the scene and then I got to a point where we got to this part and I, and it kind of came out of the, just the writing of it. It just was like, Oh, wouldn't that be interesting if he thought Adam was cute? Cause like they're for aliens and you know, who's to say yeah. how sexuality works in other, other yeah. worlds and stuff like that. So I thought it was interesting. I didn't even know about the whole, I, I know about it now, but I didn't know. I think it came out the same week or like the day before my right. came out. I had no idea that was happening. So it was kind of weird that like there was a weird synchronicity of that moment of like, oh, you know, they're going to do that. And we both had done it, month, written it months and months ahead of time. But yeah, I definitely wanted that to be a thing. If you if you keep reading the issue, uh, Zag just keeps hitting on Adam for the entire in <laughs> issue, both punching him and hitting on him at the same time, which I thought was kind of fun. But yeah, that was definitely something I wanted to do. Everybody was OK with it. Um, I felt like it was it just felt normal. I didn't I didn't yeah. it wasn't a big deal. It's just a line of dialogue. I was very happy. Pe- some people reached out more like like i'm so happy this is in the book and i'm like that's great i wasn't trying to make a big deal out of it or anything it just felt like a nice character i think part of it just comes out of my ability as, just as a writer i'm just trying to find ways to differentiate as many characters as possible mm-hmm. and and then where that's what diversity is right just trying to find as many points of view as possible and so it felt like an interesting point of view and gave me a layer to a character that doesn't have a lot of screen time and would give a point of view that isn't shared by all the other characters. So for me, it was just, it was more out of a writing perspective than it was out of any sort of social decision. And there's this moment in here. And that's why I said earlier, like, you know, talking about 11 and 12 together is because how 11 works is Zardis kind of has this side with Tommy and being like, Hey, you know, we need all the Rangers at full strength. So if there's, if there's any, 
issues that you need or someone needs to be replaced, wink, wink, like think it over. And then they teleport away. But a big chunk of issue 12 happens between this panel and then when Zella goes to the ship. Can you talk about how you wanted to structure 11 and 12 like that? Because 12 was the big reveal of that time gap of Zella explaining everything to the Rangers beforehand. Yes, yeah, some of it was purely logistical. Some of it was um, like, it was one of the things where we broke the issues like I, three, three or four months before I wrote them. Mm-hmm. And I was having a problem with how to get Candace. I always just call her Candace, sorry, because it's like yeah. a disease. I was trying to like figure out how I needed to get Candace onto the ship, and I needed her to under to learn about what was going on. Like there was a like it was like literally a plot point. I was like, I have to get her on the ship because I got to know where the the celestial shard is, and she's got to know about what's going on. Like why would she have that information? Like what would she? I need that information. I got to get her there. And it was sort of a, like a weird like plot thing. But then weirdly enough, so we kind of orchestrated this weird time jump moment of like, you think Zordon's on Zardus' side and then you really not. And then you go back in time. And then what happened was the reason for why Candace was on the ship sort of fell out of, <laughs> and then I just was like, oh, well now I'm kind of stuck with this. And it was, it was one of the things where like, it just like, I had written it for like one particular reason and it had sort of slipped out of the script, but ultimately I just thought it was like a neat kind of way to, I think it was like the cliffhanger of it all. I really liked, which was this idea of like, when Zardis is like, yeah, I need the coins too. And Zardis is like, absolutely dude, whatever you want. I wanted the audience for one minute to go, dude, is Matt right? Is he just going to go along with whatever Zardis wants? And then the next page he's like, well, we we're all screwed. Um, let's get this going. Yep, and the invasion is upon us. Here we go. <laughs> and I just felt like a cool little like one moment of, of like, wow, what do we do? And so backtracking it all, I liked the idea that, because for a little while, I was worried that the Power Rangers would look dumb because they just kept going along with whatever the Altarians, they didn't see, like Grace is over here going, that's a gunship on top of us and everybody's okay with it. And I was like, Grace can't be the only one who thinks yeah. this is okay. But I like the idea that because you didn't know what was going on, that like for one issue, you might think, wow, the Power Rangers are just going along with it. But then when you go back into 12, you're like, oh, okay. They were aware of it. They found out what's going on. And they've been, and now they've been sort of doing their best to try to round up as many allies as they possibly could. But obviously that's going to be hard, easier said than done. Speaking of them getting allies, there is such a great moment with Kimberly and... <laughs> Zordon, or she's like, wait, how many allies do you think we have? Like you've ostracized Billy, Grace, Matt, the Omega Rangers, like what's going on? And I love that confrontation that, that Kim is not afraid to stand up to Zordon. Well, I mean, she's the one who always does. If you, if yeah. you at least the way that I think inherently the way that I've always tried to write her is she's the first one that's like, you know, she's always sort of like, asking the questions that the rest of the group is sort of quietly not wanting to ask. Like Mm -hmm. everybody else is like, I think everybody else is sort of reverential to, to Zoran. But I think because the way, maybe the way it worked was in GoGo, everybody was just so in awe of having powers, but Kimberly had the hardest road to sort of hoe because she was losing Matt. And so the rules affected her in a different way than they affected other people. And I think she was the first one to sort of start questioning, Hey, like, why do we have to do this? And ultimately, because it cost her Matt, I always feel like she's always been the one who is a little less afraid to to go up to Zordon and be like, 
I don't think this is the right way to do that. And, and it's just the way that I've always really liked her. And so when we came to this moment, and to be fair, I, I will be honest, and I usually don't admit to this, this was sort of me going, there's, I, you know, I'm aware of, the, of some of the conversation on social media and whatnot. And I think for 10 issues or so, Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe around issue eight, like you know, so when I start broken this, enough people are like, Zordon's being a jerk. Like Zordon's making some very bad decisions. Yeah. And I was like, someone has to say it. Someone has to look him in the eye and go, we have gone along with everything you, ha-. and also think about this. Here's the other thing. She's coming off the conversation she just had with Matt. Matt's the one who said to her, that guy's not, is, are you sure that guy's got everything? And now she's questioning and it. And now she's questioning because it's in the back of her head right now. She's just had that conversation. And she's like, maybe he's not wrong. And I'm going to say something because that's my responsibility. And I liked that. I thought it made her look smart. I thought it made her look strong. And also, if you listen to what he says, he doesn't do a very good job defending himself. He's just like, well, I, you know, I've made some decisions. And, and, and look, this moment is very important to what happens in Altarian War. This is a big... Mm-hmm. Like you'll see, he heard everything Kimberly said and he knows why he did it. And you're going to, and he'll talk about that. We kind of talked about this uh, before, but you know, this is the moment where the team uh, splits up, which is very important to what happens in Mighty Morphin 13, which, which we will get to, but Tommy and Aisha go to Promethea to talk to Grace. And I love that, like you said before, Aisha is like the foil to Tommy and they're both there trying to convince Grace. And I love that Aisha is the one that's like, I don't think you're stupid enough to let the whole world burn just to spite Zordon unless you want to prove me wrong. And then there's that beat where Grace is like, all right, tell Zordon, I'll think about it. And that really cements Aisha to me because what you said before, like Tommy leads from the optimistic point of view, but Aisha leads from the skeptical and the pessimistic point of view. Yeah. Skeptical is probably a better term than pessimistic. So you could call there. I'm going to steal that. Um, (laughs) but, But that's what I liked about it was like, I think I wrote this scene and there was a point where like Grace, I wrote, I started writing the scene and Grace was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to help. And then I was like, she would not do that. Like, for, to what end? Like, it's, right. like it's, there's times when as a writer, you write a scene and you know a character saying something they would never say. And I was like, all right, hold on. And so I just thought, well, then Aisha should say it. Aisha, let's just cut around the whole thing of like, we need your help. And just Aisha going, you're going to help us. I know you're going to help us because you're not stupid. And mm-hmm. in a weird way, what I like about I love that my favorite line of that scene is when you get when the minute she walks away and Matt's like, oh, she likes you. And just I, I like that idea that like he sees Grace and Aisha see the world in very similar tones. And mm-hmm. I just thought that was was great. She just cuts through all the bull and is immediately like, you're too smart to spite everyone. So we don't even have to convince you. We're literally just here to let you know. And I like that, that she can see through Grace so quickly, which I thought was great. It's a good it's a good moment for her. And she has an even even greater moment, I think, that conversation a couple pages later with, with Billy and throughout Unlimited Power, she was the one that initially found that, that Billy was kind of going behind the scenes and, and he asked her to stay quiet. And I think they formed a real friendship back and forth here where Aisha's trying to push him to do the right thing. And that's a relationship that was never fully developed in the show. So I'm really glad it's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely, it's funny how like the characters sometimes just lead you in that direction. I remember when I was like, okay, so she's the one who finds out she's the one who 
who finds out that Billy's lying and gives him the benefit of the doubt. Like, trust yeah. him. First off, like, if you go back, she's the first one who suspects he's lying because she yeah. tells Kimberly. And then she knows he's lying and then gives him the benefit of the doubt. And is like, I'm going to trust you, even though I was right. I'm going to trust you because she still knows him. And then it all kind of comes out. And so what I liked is when push came to shove and Billy kind of went away from it all, she's the one who comes back to him. And is because if you think about it, if you pair this scene with the scene in the cafeteria where she's like, mm-hmm. she's like, why did you do what you did? You lied to us about this. Like, there's a real, did you not think we would support you? We love you. Like, I held your secret. Why would we not do that? And what I like is Billy tells her the truth, which is that I was afraid you talked me out of it. And I selfishly wanted to do it. And I was afraid if anybody found out, they would say no. And yeah. she knows that's true. And so what I like is when she comes to him, she's like, you told me already. Go tell Zordon. She also mm-hmm. watched the scene where Kimberly said, you're making some bad decisions, dude. And so she's seen all the pieces and she's like, it's going to be okay. You just got to go talk to Zordon. Just go talk to him and be as honest with him as you were with us and it'll be fine. And I just thought, yeah. and I like that I was even able to give it a little bit of her story with the way her mother is. And I like just to get a little bit in her life, which I'm always trying to figure out ways to get in. And this was one of those easy ones. And here's the thing that usually we'll get into Mighty Morphin 13. The fact that Billy in a weird way is being cowardly. He doesn't want sure. to face Zordon. He doesn't want to tell him the truth he doesn't he's a he's afraid because he respects him too much exactly he loves that guy so much he respects there's a line i think earlier on where it's like uh if there oh she actually says it here when she says if there was anybody in the world who was as close to a contemporary it's you guys like you're the closest thing to zordon there is on earth right on earth and it's like you guys are that close stop being a coward and go talk to him and by doing the right thing by going and actually strong being strong enough to go in and talk to him you're going to see the impact that that has on the story. Yeah. And, you know, for as smart as Billy is, he's not very great on the social aspect. No, he's terrible at that. And that's consistent with the show, but it's also, it's consistent within Unlimited Power because early on in this whole arc, and we've talked about it, like Zordon was completely opening up to Billy, like his past life. Oh, the tree that I ate the fruit from. And like, he's joking with Billy and that's why it made the betrayal cut so hard. But yeah. it, it it's also why that is the reason that Billy should talk to him anyway, because they've already formed that bond. He just is too scared to confront him. If you like all that stuff, that all is very important. Altarian war. Billy and Zordon, are a very big part of Eltarian War. So that's really cool. Awesome. Moving on to like, I think the, the most important scene in Mighty Morphin 12 is Zordon and Zed finally having that conversation because offbeat Candace tells Zordon the truth, like, you know, alone about who Zed really is. And he doesn't even, Zordon doesn't even believe it until Zed says, never eat the food. And it's literally one of the first opening things that we get in unlimited power with, with Zordon. So I'm, I'm glad to see this come full circle. Yeah. I always feel like whenever you use those flashbacks, like I try to go back to them as often as possible. I try to make those story as tight and as clean as possible. And I just like that idea that well, it's also a, kind of an important moment too, because it's the moment that Zed or Zofram Zed actually offers him the chance to be his number two. Like it's the moment that mm-hmm. that, that scene's not just like he, the reason he says never eat the food. It's not just like, it's a cute line. It's like that moment is the moment where in his mind, Zed's mind, everything went south because the moment he picked 
Zordon over Zardis mm-hmm. to be his number two. That's in his mind. That's the moment that Zordon started to betray him and started to work behind the scenes to ultimately sort of dethrone him. And so that's why this scene is. It's not just that moment. At the, the right. also that's the that's the he thinks about that a lot. I bet. So that was that's what I liked about that was that we felt like a. I think also because of the fact that I had Candace tell Zordon about what she learned from Zed off screen, it mm-hmm. felt like it. You had to have the moment where. I think Zordon had to come into this scene not believing it so we could see the moment that it hit him. Yeah. Because I think it would have been robbed if you'd have missed the whole moment of him realizing that the truth. So I wanted to have it be that he didn't believe it and then there's something in the scene that makes him so you can actually see the emotional resonance actually happen in real time. Yeah. It's such a great moment. And that's why I, I kind of like this finality to it, at least in in this scene, because Zed tells Zordon, I want you to feel how alone you are, just how alone I felt. You've got no one, no friends, no family. You did this to yourself. Goodbye. And that that one panel of Zordon before he fades away, and it's just no text, no speech bubble. Man, that, that really hits. Yeah. One of the things I thought was really fun as, as I was writing the scene that I had never realized was that there's a weird connection between Zordon and Zed and the fact that they both lost their bodies to an extent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this idea, like, I loved that moment when it was like, why didn't you tell me? And he was like, I was waiting for you to learn the same lesson I did. And I thought that when you lost your body, you would, you would, I thought you would come out the other side and you'd be just like me. And you yeah. were, you were the same. In fact, you're actually more devoted to Eltar than I am. How foolish can you be? And I thought there was such a cool connection in the sense that they both had gone through this weird sort of like metaphysic, like they they both sacrificed so much for their home planet and both came out in completely different directions. So that was something that I sort of found late in the game. You know, when I came up with the idea that Zed was an Altarian, I was like very much in the idea that like, well, I think some people are going to really hate this. <laughs> but and I'm sure there are people out there who don't, who are probably like, ah, yeah. I would have preferred there was no origin. And I'm the same way. I understand how that works out. Um, but what I liked about it was there seems to be a lot of really interesting threads I was able to tie together because of this. In mm-hmm. a thing, even when I didn't realize it. So I felt like there's a lot of fun parallels that when you start to, when you make him an Eltarian, you make him a friend of Zordon and somebody who had mentored him and had sort of had lost everything because of him. And you'll see more of this in an Eltarian where like, it's actually in the next issue, is that concept of Zordon became the good person that he is because of Zafram's sacrifice. Thinking yeah. he had died. That was the beginning of this issue in the flashback when yes. Zafram and Zordon were talking, or not Zafram, uh, Zardis. And, yeah. and, and Zardis was saying, hey, uh, if you don't want the job, I can do it. Yeah. And, and Zordon even got more resolve. Exactly. He, he was like forged in that moment, like because of uh, Zafram's sacrifice and turning into Zed, which he didn't know about. He just thought he gave his life. But that hardened his resolve that now he didn't want to go back to his old life. And I love that last panel of that flashback because you see Zardis's uh, face like, 
Oh man, yeah, I'm so happy for you, dude. Yep. Like I'm with you till the end. He kind of he's kind of giving him a way out here, right? He's just like, yeah. hey man, like you can get out of here, and I'm have to not gonna have to burn you. I'm not gonna be plotting against you. Look at his red eyes. Like he's very much like, oh man, like I don't like. That's the thing I like about Zardis a little bit. Like he's a guy who betrayed the people that he loves, but it's because he loves them. It's like I don't yeah. think he wants to kill Zordon. I don't think he wanted to destroys Zofram and, and Zed. I think he literally just felt like he had no choice and these guys got in the way and when they didn't show him the same kind of love, he was like, I'm, you're out, I'm done. Like that's, maybe, maybe that's wrong, but like that's, but you're right. That's the thing that I really liked about this moment with Zordon at the beginning of the issue and sort of plays off later is this idea that like Zordon's entire resolve to become this great leader for Eltar is based on a lie and he doesn't know it. Yeah. But he's going to be better off for it. He's going to be a better person. Like, if Zothram hadn't become Zed, it's quite possible that Zordon would have ultimately been like, cool, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go home and I'm going to be on the farm. That's what I'm going to go do. But because when Zothram got taken off the table, there was a vacuum and Zordon thought, well, I, now that he's gone, I've got to step into that role. I've got to become that yep. leader that Zofram always in not knowing that the guy has actually not died and is going to become the villain that you're going to have to fight. Like, I think I love the irony of that. I'm a big fan of that stuff. Oh yeah. It's really great. Later in 12, which plays off more in 13, which we'll get to, I, I just kind of want to wrap up 12. Oh, no, I'm, because- I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, like I want to talk about 13 because it's such a great start to everything. But this is when we see, which plays off in 13, uh, we see that Adam, Kimberly, and Rocky uh, start to face off against uh, the Sentry Force 4. And that kicks off beautifully in 13. But after that, we see Billy trying to apologize. It just happens at literally the worst time. <laughs> yeah, the worst time in the world. Billy's like trying to pour his heart out. Zordon's like, no, Billy, you have to hide. Hide, yeah. Yeah, and I love that moment. It's like if Billy did this earlier, things wouldn't have kicked off the way they did. And so I, I just love the the timing of, of it all. But we finally get the confrontation between Zardis and Zordon. And all of that anger that Zardis has just spills out. And Zordon's telling him, look, whatever you're trying to justify, he's saying the difference is I wouldn't have used the Zeo crystal to massacre innocent worlds. And it's terrifying to me that you can't see that. I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> like it's all on the table now. Oh yeah. Like this, this was the scene that I was like kind of worried about writing. Cause I was like, it's, it's a big moment because up to this point, Zardis is like kind of lied about everything and he's pretended to be friends and he's pretended to be there for everything. And this is the moment, like the line that I always loved when he was just like, he shows up and, and Zordon's like, no, the Rangers are on the way. He's like, no, dude, we're, we're, we're past that. Like we're, we're, yeah. we're done. There's no more joking. There's no more that. And, and for the first time in the whole series on issue 12, Zardis finally is honest about everything. Everything he says at this point is true. There's nothing yep. he lies. He doesn't lie. I always love that. We write a character who lies all the time and then finally get to that point where they just like, they put every, they say truth. And I think he actually speaks the truth from this point on all the way through the rest of Altarian War. Like he doesn't lie anymore. And that's just a lot more fun. And I thought there was a lot of really fun things here because you got to see, you get to understand his philosophy on what, what he's turned Altar into. This mm-hmm. idea that, that Altar cannot, and this actually, if you go back and you read, I think it's Mighty Morphin number two, 
and you listed that flashback where Zofram is is first made supreme guardian with the uh, with the elders of Eltar. They literally he actually talks about this exact thing, which is we need to go out and protect other worlds. And yes. the elders are the ones who are like, yeah, well, I don't know about that. And and he was just like, well, I think it's our responsibility if we don't do this that it will that it'll burn us in the long run. And they ultimately say it's one of my favorite lines that I got there was, we will do this, we will trust you to do this, but let's hope that in we don't become a monster ourselves. And what happens is Zofram doesn't go that way, but Zardis does. Zardis flips yep. the other side of that, and he realizes the mistake of, of uh, in his eyes. The mistake is if you tr- spread your forces and you try to protect everybody. That's how an empire falls. Is that it's just not. It can't do that. And so his whole approach with the Imperials has been, if the world isn't good enough, if they haven't reached the qualities of Eltar, blow them up and start over. And now they can't become a problem for us. And in 100,000 years or however long it takes to evolve the next race, then we'll add them to the Empire. But I'm not going to waste time protecting morally wrong places or places that haven't, haven't evolved effectively. Like, he's this very pragmatic and nasty way to look at it. He's not trying to destroy, like, this isn't, this isn't you know, Thanos. This is just a, I want to create the strongest Empire I can. And if you're dead weight, I'm not going to waste my resources protecting you. It's almost like an evil version of the Prime Directive from Star Trek. Yeah. Yes, I would probably, that's a great way to look at it. As opposed to, we don't touch them. It's like, well, you had your trance. Um, okay, you guys aren't w- worthy of being part of the Federation. Wipe them out. We'll start over again. Yep. Yeah. And I like that. And what I loved also was this idea that he says it and he believes it. Like, he's not, like, I always believe your villains got to believe what they're doing is right. And he thinks what he's doing is right. Maybe he thinks, maybe it's, it's evil. But it, in his eyes, it's the only way to keep things going. And I love that he's just like, Zordon, come back. Come back yeah. with us and, and like, maybe you think I'm wrong. Then come back with me and be there and talk to me and maybe maybe we'll figure it out together. And seriously, one of the best lines, he's like, please be Zordon of Eltar again. And Zordon's like, sorry, my friend, but today I am Zordon of Earth. I got goosebumps. Thank you. That was in my pitch. That was in the original outline from, from Mighty Morphin and Pyrans number one. I said, I want to go. The story of Unlimited Power is I want to take... Zordon and to go make him from Zordon of Eltar and turn him into Zordon of Earth. And that was my pitch. So that's the thing. And so it was really cool that I was like, I want it to be the last thing he says before things go south. And so it was really cool that I got to get to that moment. I, I always knew I wanted to. And it, yeah, it paid off in a way that I hadn't expected. I was very, I love the look on page. I think it's page 22. The look on Zardis's face. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's this moment of like, <sighs> like we've all had that of silent resignation of like, well, it's <sighs> like, well, now I'm free to kill you. Yep. There we my, go. My conscience is clean. I like, gave you every chance I could. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, with Zardis believing that he's right. I, I love the opposite of that with, with Candace slash Zella. Like she realizes that this whole time that she's been on these supervisions it's actually judging whether or not they get wiped out. And she just didn't know that they, she only connected the dots once she found out that the Imperials wiped out those, those planets. So I, I love that beat because it shows that it's not all Eltarians that are like following Zardis's ways. Like there, there are Eltarians that still respect like those old ways of, of what they were. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And I think you'll actually see that even a little bit more with Century Force 4 a little bit is that they're soldiers and they are doing what they think is, they're following orders. And there's a point though where 
when you're a soldier. And it's actually, it's really funny you mentioned that, because this idea, because there's like a weird sort of like parallel between Zeta and Candace in the sense that like Candace was a good soldier who did all this, went on to revisions, did all this thing, and sort of realized the worlds she destroyed. Also, I think the fact that she's fallen in love with Skull is yeah. a big reason of like, I can't let this world fall apart because I, I think that's the thing that's really frustrating to her is like, oh my gosh, I, I doomed all these planets to death. And now I'm going to, I could potentially lose somebody that I really care about. So what I like is there's a scene, there's a, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but not spoiler, but there's a moment with her and, and Zeta later on, which is like, Zeta's like a soldier. She's like, a, actually, a line I think is a soldier is a servant. And she's like, if you can't see the difference between the two, then there's no saving you. And like, yeah. that's the point is like, they, you know, they, you can't just follow orders blindly. And she's already been through the other side of that. And Century Force 4 isn't quite there yet, so... I wanted a, a point of, of clarification just because it's it's a question I had in, in my last uh, interview with you, but um, we didn't really touch upon. But the Mighty Morphin 11 kind of, I think, confirmed it, but I just want to get a clarification. So when Candace did confront Zardis, because Zardis says, from your first field report, I knew this day would come, was was he like in hologram mode? Was he the one in the alley in the shadows when Candace and Skull were on their first date? And, you know, she had Skull go away so she could talk to this mysterious figure in the shadows. Was that Zardis? Was that the field report? Um, I will say this. Probably, unless I decide that it wasn't. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so let me let me just say that. Like, this is something a writer should never say. <laughs> like, I should not say this. But like, probably. I mean, it makes the most sense. And it's what I wrote. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I wrote it, but we didn't see them. So I okay. allow my opportunity that if I come up with a better answer down the line, <laughs> that I will. But I would make the argument that yes, I, unless there's dialogue that, that contradicts it, I'm pretty sure. I wrote it as that was artist because I think there's a lot. Let me look. Hold on. Hold on one second. Like sure, I sure, sure. the actual line that I wrote, because there was a line, very specific line that I wrote that was sort of designed to tip it, which was we received the message. And I think that message was the Imperials have arrived. Yeah, okay. it makes the most sense. It probably, I mean, even look at the figure in the, in the, in the, in the silhouette on, on page 28. Yeah, it's probably, I'm not, I'm, I would say it's, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that's Zardis, but I would also like, if I can come up with a really cool story where it wasn't, you know, who knows? Let's okay. Know. Okay. Got it. Got but, it. But your answer, yes, probably. <laughs> okay. So now the final issue that we're going to talk about this episode is the Altarian Wars here. If you're listening to this, it came out on Wednesday. Pick it up because I think it's awesome. Uh, we finally get the first issue of the Altarian War, Mighty Morphin 13. And this is heavy. Even from the, the intro of the flashback where you see Zordon in the Supreme Guardian role for the first time in his gold armor. And he's standing in front of this field of like massacred magic frog people. <laughs> and, and, and we find out that Lord Zed went there to learn their magic and use it against them. I love seeing that backstory. Yeah, it's fun. So I was like, well, there was like a different scene here at one point, And I think I was like, nah, I wanted to be, what's the touch of dark 
Dark Origin without going through all of it. I don't want to write all of Zed's origin in like three flashbacks and like not yeah. leave anybody any room to to do that. Even myself down the line, maybe if the opportunity presented itself. But this idea of like I don't want to do that. But I did think there was just something fun about like this idea of you meet them, they arrive the first time, and you see a massive field of dead frogs, like the cutest guys you could possibly think. And you're like, <laughs> what happened? And I just thought there was something cool about this idea of Zed going to like how did he learn magic he doesn't know any magic when he was off from so how does he learn magic now and he's already been broken he's already been torn up he's you know and so he goes and he finds somebody that he can lull and he sits there for for i don't know how long years maybe who knows yeah. how, how long zordon's been supreme guardian we don't really know and so he watches and this idea that i love this idea that he learned their magic and then used it on them as practice like i'm gonna become the greatest sorcerer in the world and then i'm gonna destroy all of you and there was just something like really dark about that i just thought that that's a cool origin story for why zoffram has all knows magic and and this idea that he, that's how patient that's how meticulous he's thinking and i thought that was a lot of fun yeah it was pretty funny because when on twitter when we put out like the tease the preview pages for this issue uh someone uh actually commented they said maybe adam was right about not wanting to be a frog i should have had that been a line it's like you don't want to be a frog man <laughs> This issue is is a lot. And what I love about this issue in particular is Billy is doing what he does best. It's almost like nerdy Jason Bourne on the fly. Like, <laughs> that's what I feel this is because he's running down corridors. He's morphing and like trying to keep his voice down. And I just I love this moment with uh, with Billy. Thanks. I, I, my favorite part was when he's trying to calm himself down. He starts reciting pie. Yes. I was like, I was like he, it's such a nerd thing, but only, only Billy, only Billy. I think I heard that from a guy who, one of the spelling bee contestants for the, that's what he said he did when he was really nervous about trying to go up to do the word was he would recite pie. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I remember so I'd heard that years ago. <laughs> and so when I was thinking like, Billy's got to calm himself down because I was like, oh, he should do that. And I thought that was a nice little, little thing that, that just seemed it, seemed, it seemed very Billy. Of course, Billy would do that. So, yeah. Yeah. And for most of this issue, um, what, what I like about it is like, of course, Billy and, and Alpha uh, team up to yeah. help save Zordon. It just, it makes so much sense. And I'm really glad that we got these moments, but before the big moment, we have a massive battle that was set up in the previous issue between Rocky, Adam, and Kimberly and Sentry Force 4. And it's just three Rangers against the four of them, and they are barely holding it together. Yeah, they kind of get their butts kicked a little bit. Not, not too bad, but like there's still a little time for some yeah. comedy involved. But that was the fun part was like I knew this fight was coming. So I sort of built their power skills a little bit around this idea. I, I love the idea. Like Rockies talks about like the sword the guy. The sword guy. Because yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like when you're right, you always have the sword guys. And I was just like, I looked at Rockies like, is it not? Why do they always send me to deal with the sword guy? And I just thought that was fun. Like even Rocky, just like even the worst moments. But like that was really fun. And then also just like seeing Adam 
just get absolutely beat the heck by by Zach. Yeah. He still is like you're cute. Uh, but I, I love when the second panel when he punches him once, and then the second panel he does a tur- portals him and kicks him from behind. Oh. I was like, so cool, man! Like like Marco's just killing it with the the teleportation stuff. Just Marco throughout this issue, like even the stuff with the dramatic shots of of Billy, and I really like that panel of like Alpha doing like the whoa. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. it's so dynamic. Yeah, yeah. M- Marco's doing a great job with these. Marco's a lot of fun, man. I love working with him. He's, he's, he just brings a lot to it. He just has good angles and energy, and he's got like an old school image style that I really like. And so, yeah, it's it's fun. And what I also liked about this too is like if you listen to uh, what what Zag's saying to Adam, like he's saying like, look, there might not be the worst. This this takeover might not be the right. worst thing in the world. But, you know, like you haven't necessarily done a great job with your planet. Maybe it's better if somebody took over. And, you know, it's not necessarily wrong about that. But, you know, going to cost us our freedom and everything. But the other thing that I wanted to do in this scene was I wanted them to be tactically sound. I didn't want it to just be punches. I wanted Zeta to actually try and use the team appropriately, which was, was a lot of fun to try and come up with. Hopefully it reads and people understand what actually happens. So we'll see. It's a great moment. And it lasts quite a few pages, this this battle. And, yeah, you were right, like, saying earlier, like, when, when Zeta does speak, it means something so yeah. uh, e- even in the fight with <laughs> with rocky and he's like rocky's like did they do the same thing to you and he's like no and no. he's like you're the bad guy in this you know you're the bad guy in this fight right he's like yes and it's, <laughs> <He's> like, <"Yep." laughs> it's so great soft spoken yeah he's yeah. Like anti-deadpool <laughs> <laughs> what happens next is zed and and zardis finally have their conversation and zed admits defeat like he's like look you keep underestimating the rangers you're going to get defeated too and it's something that zed would like obviously never admit to his enemies but i love that line where it's like promises between men like us are meaningless yeah that's true. I mean, at this point, yeah, yeah it's like I've yeah. been, Zed's made a thousand promises. He knows. <laughs> like, I promise, dude, like, come on. He's being very, like, he's talking to Zardis as a contemporary a little bit, if you think about mm-hmm. it. Like, or, right. like, in some ways, or like, I like that thing where he's like, you come in here, like, you're telling me the first time that you're going to, like, this thing of like, we've defeated, I've destroyed Zordon, and we're going to take the coins. He's like, you think it's that easy? I've been doing this for a while, man. And it's like, like you're crazy if you think it's that simple. And what I liked about it was it's like he's being honest about how he's lost. You know, mm-hmm. like he's like, you know, there's that point where he says, perhaps overconfidence will blind you and you'll, you to some crucial detail or a foe you left for dead will suddenly reappear. Like he's going, you can see him like going yeah. through all <laughs> the different ways he's ever lost. And he's like, but you're going to fail. Like you're going to lose the same way I lose unless you and I figure this thing out together. And Zardis is like, nah, that's not why I'm here. And I was like, well, you freaking idiot. Like, I just thought there was like, that took a lot for Zed to say, but I think, yeah. I think it was a smart move. He was like, I think you're already winning. I should hitch my wagon to the winning side here. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Zardis isn't interested, he's like, all right, cool, cool. What happens next is once Zardis leaves, he gathers all of the rest of, of his minions and he actually has a good plan. Like Zordon's gone. The command center is vulnerable. Go in there and end Zordon if he's not ended. And even taking Finster, what happens later in, or wait, does it happen in this issue? I got to make sure I'm not. No, that's the next issue. I can't. That's Power Rangers 13. I can't spoil that. (laughs) 
But I guess like Zed kind of clearing them all out and giving Finster, who usually doesn't go planet side, a task, which we don't even know what what that task is. Is this kind of like Zed's last desperate plan or is he just taking advantage of the situation right now as the Power Rangers are kind of distracted? Uh, I would say that without spoiling anything. Sure. That Zed is very in tune with how losses happen, right? He made a very strong speech in that previous scene, which is that this is how you lose. And the Power Rangers are pretty good at it. But in this situation, he's not the bad guy. He's not the one making the push. He's not, yeah. he, usually he's in his artist position. He's not this time. So knowing that, can he take advantage of the situation to benefit himself in some way? Whether that be now or in the future. And that's the way that I looked at it was, if I'm going to put all my cards on the table, this scene, this moment with the minions came out of my conversation with my editor, who was like, it would be nice if Zed was, uh, knew what the heck he was doing. <laughs> she's like, it's easy, because the one thing that I, you know, if I'm going to take a big, and I, I talked a lot here, so I apologize, but like, the one thing I would say is like, the one probably mistake, not even mistake, but the one pothole that I found myself walking into multiple times with, since I've taken over Mighty Morphin with 40, was I think Zed's never been like the primary antagonist in any of my stories. Kaya mm -hmm. was the antagonist for a little while. Zardis and the Imperials are in this one. And it just feels like because I've never made him like the primary antagonist, it almost feels like he always says plays second fiddle to whoever that guy is. And so he's not the one pushing the narrative. And I feel like it makes him soft sometimes. It's made him a little less powerful than I would prefer. Um, and so knowing that coming into this story, I was like, He's got to take advantage of that. He's got to yeah. know that if this situation doesn't work out, maybe I can benefit from it later. So what he's asking Sinster to do might not even be something that happens in Altarian War. It might be something that plays up later down the line. But it's definitely something okay. that I've already sort of planned out and figured out. There's a piece that I'm, I'm interested in the story because I want there to be – I want him to be smart enough to understand the opportunity when it presents itself. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. And then we get a moment back in the command center where they're transferring whatever Zordon energy is left. And I love the line that Alpha says, like, Billy, how many secret science <laughs> projects do you have? <laughs> I think that was me calling my own bluff there. Like, how many projects do you have that you're always doing? But it's like he always in the show, he always had yep. like a science project or a, or a, a gadget. Yes, something he was working on. And I love it. He's like, oh, so many, man. Like, he's not even he's like, <laughs> too many. Like, he just has like a thousand. He's that writer who's got a thousand screenplays he's writing on all the time. And, you know, yeah. But that's the way I saw it. And also what I liked about this, the thing about the, the, the filtration system was that it was, this came out of the fact that like, I was like, can I break the canister? I was like, I want to, I want to shatter the canister at the end of uh, 11 or 12, whichever one it was. And there was a conversation was like, we've used that. And we've always said, I mean, obviously they, when, when Andros does it, it's a yep. huge move. So if you're going to do that, like, you can't just like put him back in the container. Like that's, that's like, you can't like, there's gotta be consequences to that. But my argument was in this story, the Rangers have gone to another reality and seen how Zordon dies. Draken did it. They know. Yep. So wouldn't you, if you came back to your reality and it hadn't happened, wouldn't you create a safeguard for that? Like if I told you that your car would explode one day if you went over 85 miles an hour and you got back here and you're like, I've got that car, I'd make sure it doesn't go over 85 miles an hour. You know what I mean? Like I don't know why that was the metaphor I used. But my point is, is like I like the idea that he went over there and got smart 
and then yes. did it without telling anybody. Like he was just like, oh yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not dumb. I'm going to use this information. And I thought it made Billy look smart and also gave me this opportunity to sort of save, to save Zordon to an extent. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. We finally get, cause I know Bulk and Skull obviously have taken a little bit of a backseat to this. Sadly. But um, yeah, sadly, because I I really like those guys and I've I've liked what you've done with them when you do stuff with them. But I I love this moment. Like it's literally an alien invasion. And the first thing they think of is, oh, my God, we got a podcast. We got like content for our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love that's the only thing that made Skull happy, too. It was just like he's down. He's like, I'm never going to. It's over. And he's like, there's an alien invasion. He's like, all right, we can do that. The last scene, these last two pages, the Rangers kind of come back together. They regroup at Promethea and they still don't know what happens with Billy, with Zordon, with Alpha and real leadership moment from, from Tommy. He's even pumping his fist. He's like, yeah, no one's abandoning anyone. We're, we're going to find the Omega Rangers. And Grace is just like, look, you guys are out of time. There, there is... Uh, a ship there's troops there there's everything and uh the rangers are at their back and you just see the last panel of the whole issue is literally the the invasion force it's it's zardis and century force four and a whole bunch of eltarian warriors uh looking at promethea so it's a lot this is definitely a huge issue yeah, the Battle of Promethea is on is coming. So uh, I, I just like the idea that when you took Zordon off the table, that th- there was something sad about the fact that they were sort of left with, with not left with, but like Grace is now their one in charge, and it's the person that they've been at odds with the entire time. Is like, look, I'm your only. This is it. I'm your. I'm yeah. your. You know, I'm your Helm's Deep, folks. Like this is it. Like, are you ready? Are you going to side with me? Are you can listen to me. Are we going to do that? Or are you going to do what your own thing? And I thought there was. A, a lot of this, a lot of this whole run has been about removing the the people, the parents from your lives, yeah. and seeing what happens when, like, seeing what happens. And in, in Omega Rangers, we took away the, the the blue emissary. Now we've taken away Zordon, and now we've got Grace. And Grace has stepped into that de facto role. And how will that work out? How will the Rangers deal with her? And ultimately, you know, is that is that a good or bad thing? And that was something that I wanted to explore a little bit going forward. So like a fun moment of sort of like this idea of at some point they're they're going to have a parent that protects them or they're going to have to become the parents themselves. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. That about does it for Mighty Morphin 13, the kickoff of the Eltarian War. Power Rangers 13, if you're listening to this when this episode releases, uh, Power Rangers 13 uh, will be out this coming Wednesday. Ryan, any little thing you can maybe tease about Power Rangers 13? We got a lot of action coming, folks. Uh, If you like seeing that stuff, if you like just a full-on alien invasion, I mean, that's what that's what we're going with. Is really, I think my favorite thing about this is if you've been reading Power Rangers for a while, you get to actually see Francesco draw some of the actual Power Rangers, um, which is really fun. Like, I was really, I loved the getting him, letting him draw the Green Ranger and letting him see all that and and sort of his approach to everything. It's just such a, those guys have such a different style, Marco and Francesco, and it's so neat to see them now get to play with each other's toys a little bit. And so that's a lot of fun. You get to see, you know, you get to see Francesco draw the Century Force 4. And so so it's it's cool. It's like seeing two directors doing different parts of a movie. And so that's a lot of fun. And we're going to get to see a little more of Yale, which is always good, I think. Full disclosure for people listening, I have read that issue as well. 
there's some great stuff coming. And what I wanted to say and, and touch upon what, what you said, Ryan, was that when Francesco was doing uh, kind of Mighty Morphin 50 through 55, it calls back to what he did yeah. uh, with with Mighty Morphin. So I, I definitely love that continuity of of art. Yeah, it's, it's just fun. To, like, after we, we did it in the first few issues where we were going back and forth and you're getting to see everybody sort of do this, do play off each other's you know, mm-hmm. style. And now we get to sort of do it again. And, um, yeah, so, um, and definitely, uh, the ending of 13 is, uh, got some pop to it. So we'll <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. Ryan, uh, once again, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Thank you so much for taking part of your evening and recording with me. It's always a pleasure to get to talk with you, man. Oh, thank you, man. It was really a pleasure for me too. Sometimes it's nice to, it's really nice to talk about this with people because sometimes it actually really helps me realize like where I went right and where I went wrong and, and sort of like see some stuff from, from a different angle. And it's super helpful, especially when I'm in the middle of writing stuff. Uh, so thank you so much. And that concludes our interview with Ryan Parrott and this episode. Remember, at the time of this episode's release, Mighty Morphin issue 13 is out now. You can find print copies of this issue at your local comic book shop by using comicshoplocator.com to find the nearest one or at the Boom Studios web store. Digital copies can be purchased from content providers like Comixology, iBooks, Google Play, and Kindle. So we thank Ryan once again for appearing on the show and also Hasbro for our interview with John Warden and John Firestone. Ranger Nation, let us know what you think. If you have questions, email us at rangercommandpowerhour at gmail.com or check us out at rangercommand.com. We're on Twitter at rangercommandph and on Facebook and Instagram at rangercommandpowerhour, all one word. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next weekend with a brand new episode of Ranger Command. You've been listening to the Ranger Command Power Hour, only on the Four Eyed Radio Network. You can catch a new episode every other Saturday. Find us on the Morphin Grid at www.rangercommand.com. Follow us on Twitter at RangerCommandPH. Like us on Facebook and Instagram at RangerCommandPowerHour. Ranger Command is also on Patreon. Become a patron by pledging as much or as little as you like every month and receive cool perks. By pledging, you are helping us make our show even better. Go to Patreon.com slash RangerCommandPH to learn more. Thanks for listening.